1859, Augustus Hare published a memoir recounting his travels around the globe and those he'd met along the way. Among those he encountered was Lord Ravensworth and his family, whom he dined with at Percy's Cross in Northumberland. Ravensworth and co regaled Hare with several stories of their lives and their family, but when nightfall came, the group wanted some scary stories. Ravensworth himself told the tale of one of his former residences where a maid had a premonition she would die, and as would the head of the household not too long after. As the maid was walking home one evening, she saw two orbs flitting above her, one bright and beaming, the other running behind, almost as if it was trying to catch up. The maid said that she knew she was the chasing orb, and that the head of the house was the other. Within the week... They were both dead. But it would be one Captain Fisher who would take the prize for scaring the bejesus out of everyone in the mid-1800s, as he told tales of ghostly omens of death, towering banshees, and one more legendary spectre. This final story in his terrifying trilogy took place in a house he used to stay at in Croglin, a village just outside Carlisle, and regarded three siblings who rented the property and had to cope with a conspicuously uninvited guest. Captain Fisher told of a house that had been in his family for generations. Located in Croglin, it was the aptly named Croglin Grange, a house he described as modest, which I'm sure it was, for a mansion, it sported sprawling grounds and fine views, allowing those who stayed there the ability to see right off into the countryside, with only the local church finding its way into frame. It would come that the fishers required somewhere larger to house their growing family, and so instead of blemishing the property with another story, they decided to move away to Surrey, renting Crogling Grange out while they were away. Enter the Cranswells, Amelia and her two brothers Edward and Michael. They were, by all accounts, the ideal tenants. They didn't fuss about the property, they were kind and polite. They made themselves part of the community, all while taking in what the countryside had to offer. Winter went by like a breeze. But come summer, the sweltering heat brought more issues than just a sweaty arse crack. After sitting outside all day admiring the sights their accommodation provided, fanning themselves to stave off the warmth, they would retire to their rooms, and it was there where Amelia, still afflicted by the temperature, decided to sit up for a bit longer. And so she opened the shutters, keeping her window locked, and continued to gaze out at the magnificent view from the land surrounding Crogling Grange to the churchyard and beyond. Before too long, Amelia would notice something smudging the vista. A pair of lights that seemed to dance between the trees separating Crogling Grange from the church. They dipped in and out of view for a few moments before emerging from the tree line. Two lights caped in darkness, what Captain Fisher described as a definite, ghastly something. 
it seemed to draw ever closer to Amelia, menacingly making its way up the lawn to the house, those two lights ever piercing the darkness as it grew taller, wider. Amelia couldn't bring herself to leave the room as her locked bedroom door was in too close a vicinity to the unshuttered window and she feared those few moments it would take her to unlock the door could be the difference. So she sat, paralysed, watching the something approach. Suddenly, however, the apparent boggle turned and headed around the house. Not gone, but with it out of sight, Amelia took the chance and rushed to her door. As she furiously fumbled at the key, she became aware of a sound not originating from her own frantic motions. A little scratch, 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 like claws on glass. She turned towards the window and saw the hideous face with burning eyes staring back at her. Amelia dived back into bed, tucking herself safely under the covers, unable to bring herself to stare back at the creature, and much to her relief, the scratching stopped. She assumed whatever the thing was had worked out that the window was safely bolted and it would be unable to get inside. until another sound started. This time, a tap, tap, tap. Amelia swiftly realised that the scratching had sufficiently weakened one pane of glass and the tapping was to release it from its frame. Amelia emerged from under her covers just in time to witness the glass fall onto her bedroom floor and then watch as a bony hand reached through and unlocked the window from the inside. Through the awning came the creature and it groped across the room, arrived at the bed and, I quote, twisted its long, bony fingers into her hair and it dragged her head over the side of the bed and... It bit her violently in the throat. The toothy grasp really made her focus up because she started screaming for help right then and there, ten minutes too late. Her brothers tried to come to her rescue but encountered the locked door and so had to nip off for whatever implement best unlocks doors that isn't a key. Whatever it was, they found it and barged into the room where they found Amelia bleeding profusely from the neck flopped over her bed. Michael rushed to the window just in time to see the beast bounding away towards the tree line and watched it hop the church wall where it was out of sight. He then joined Edward in nursing their sister and she must have been fair hard like because she shook it all off and the first thing she said after being bitten in the neck by the closest thing to a monster she'll ever see was What has happened is most extraordinary and I am very much hurt. It seems inexplicable but of course there is an explanation and we must wait for it. It will turn out a lunatic has escaped from some asylum and found his way here. Well that's alright then. 
nothing to worry about. Despite her unreasonably sunny disposition, doctors told her that she should have a change of scenery. And despite acting like she wasn't scared, her and her brothers legged it to Switzerland, so they must have been shitting themselves a little bit. After a season in Switzerland, Amelia urged for their return to Crogling Grange, because she obviously wanted to beat the shit out of this thing. But she doubled down on her reasoning, saying, Lunatics do not escape every day. Then again, they don't have to if they stay escaped. The Cranswells moved back into Crogling Grange and Amelia went right back into her old room where she kept the shutters firmly closed every night, while Michael and Edward shared a room across the hall where they had loaded pistols within reach in case of any more creature features. Despite her windows remaining doubly closed however, it is important to note that even with closed shutters, a small pane at the top of her window remained exposed. But months went by without incident, until spring came. As Amelia slept, a familiar sound woke her up and she sat bolt upright, eyes on the exposed panes. There was that same horrendous face, talons clawing at the window. This time, her lungs didn't fail her and she screamed as loud as she could, alerting her gun-toting brothers who immediately burst into the room. The beast was already off, realising that Amelia wasn't stunned into silence anymore. It started pacing off back towards the churchyard, but Edward was on one, running straight for the window, flinging it open and firing for the beast, catching it in the leg. He watched as it hobbled into the churchyard and decided to follow on and finish the job. Instead of killing the beast, however, he watched as it entered a mausoleum on the church grounds. The next day, the Cranswell summoned the locals of Croglin and told them all what had happened and where the creature had ended up. With everyone a witness, Michael and Edward opened the crypt and revealed a grisly tableau. A vault full of broken coffins, their supposed inhabitants scattered about the place, twisted and mangled into shapes that would make yoga instructors jealous. One coffin looked as it should, not undisturbed and not sealed, but with the lid laid across the awning, at least. As Michael and Edward lifted it, Amelia confirmed that the same brown, withered, mummified face was the one she saw at her window, and the wound from the gunshot on its leg all but confirmed it. The inhabitants of Croglin came to a decision about what to do with the creature. They didn't drive a stake through its heart, they didn't raid their pantries for garlic, no, they burned it. The only thing they believed would put a permanent end to the vampire. Cheers for listening to episode 1 of season 2 of the Folklore of Cumbria cast. I'd like to thank my sources, the blog site Esmeralda's Cumbrian History and Folklore, as well as the very handy book, The Story of My Life by Augustus Hare. 
for the music, silvermansound.com came up trumps again, and I should definitely thank Aaron Mankey in one of these, since I pretty much lifted the format directly, but give me a minute here, Aaron. I'll find my own way soon. And thank you, once again, for listening. After recounting Captain Fisher's tale, Augustus Hare, in his book, immediately goes on to talk about a delightful visit he had with a friend in Dorset, not even dwelling for a moment on the fact that he's just been told a cracking vampire story. And maybe that's because that's how he reacted in real life. I mean, picture it, some late night ghost stories and then straight to bed, in a big mansion house in the north of England where Augustus Hare had his own room, and despite closing the shutters, locking the window, and tucking himself very tightly into bed, pulling the covers right up to his chin so as not to leave any neck exposed, he would still sit up all night, staring at those exposed panes left vulnerable by the shutters, returning from every blink, expecting the blood-sucking vampire to be scratch, scratch, scratching on the glass. We don't often have the security of shutters anymore, so if you do wake in the night to find a hideous visage trying to get in, well, I just hope you sprung for the double glazing. Good night.